And I think a lot of people, what you don't realize is that at some point people like do all these things with your money, but those things require effort, attention, time, management. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. Layla Hormozzi is here, one of my best friends, and we're talking about being wealthy women. So welcome, Layla. Thank you, Brooke. I'm going to let Layla introduce herself and tell you all about her, but I just want to let you know, I made up a bunch of questions that I wanted to ask Layla, and she also went on her Instagram and got questions from her audience to ask, so it's going to be so good, especially if you want to be a wealthy woman. So first, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us why you're as wealthy as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Layla's like one of the only other women that I know that is as wealthy as me. And so that's why I told her, I'm like, let's talk about being wealthy. Let's talk about having money. Let's talk about all the things. And so maybe tell them a little bit about what you do, Mm -hmm. why you have so much wealth. Why do I have so much money? Why do you have so much money? And what do you do with it? Yeah. Awesome. So started a business seven years ago called Gym Launch. And it was a huge failure for the first like year and a half and then ended up taking off. And that's something that I started with my husband, Alex. And we did that together for five years. And then we started another company called Allen, which is a software company. And then we started acquisition.com, which is a portfolio of companies that we take minority interest in other companies. And so we actually end up selling Gym Launch and Allen. And uh, we also had Prestige Labs, which was a supplement company about eight months ago now. And then throughout that process, you know, we kind of figured out what we're best at doing. And that's really taking companies from anywhere between three and 10 million to 100 million. And so that's what I've done for the last seven years. And that's how we've made most of our money is making the businesses very profitable. So a lot of people, you know, they build businesses, but they don't actually get to take any cash out, which I think is actually a really big disadvantage for the person running it because you're in scarcity mindset the whole time. And we don't want to run our companies that way. And so They're always very profitable, run very efficiently, and you really can't do that without running it with a great team and having great processes and such. And so that's kind of been what my focus has been, so that we can extract a lot of cash flow for also the founders in our portfolio. And that's how we made a lot of our money. And then we made a good amount of money on the sale of our businesses, but it honestly didn't really make a big difference to our life. So I don't really, I don't think about it. Yeah, it's so interesting. Someone just asked me this question. They sent me a text and they're like, when is it going to be enough money? And I'm like, it already is. It already was like a long time ago. So I think that's so interesting. You're like, we sold all these companies and made millions of dollars, but it didn't affect our lifestyle. Yeah. But it still made you rich. Yeah. I mean, it. Every, I think that honestly what it did was it shifted our identity. Mm. I think it did that more than it changed our lifestyle because it's like, oh, I've grown something to the point where I can actually sell it. It's a value to somebody besides me. Yeah. And I think that's something really cool. So it was identity shift and such that I was like, wow, I built a business that was sellable. That is cool to me. Versus like, oh, I'm I made like, you know, millions and millions off this business. I wasn't really thinking about it like that. It was more like, wow, I've leveled up enough to have the skill set to create something that I can give to somebody else. Yes. And that's so cool. So I just want to summarize because I think this is amazing. And what you've done is like incredible. So you've built businesses that were valuable enough to sell. And I think that is something that I don't talk a lot about on this podcast and that a lot of people don't understand. Like in order to, and I got an offer on my business recently. And so having like kind of that perspective of what is required for somebody to want your business 
it's not just that you make a lot of money. It's not just that the business is profitable. It's that the business is run well. And that's really your expertise. That's your focus in terms of your skill set. Tell us about kind of how that came to be and how you got to be so good at that. You know, what's funny is like everyone always asks me, they're like, what's the the book or the podcast yeah. or like the one thing? And I was like, it didn't, honestly, like when we started Gym Launch and it was like, I'm going to run this company. I had no experience. I'd never managed a person before. I'd never run a company before. I'd never even been a manager. Like I'd never right. even like literally been, I just always a high level individual contributor, but I had so much drive that I was like, I won't be the reason that this company fails. Mm. And so I was able to figure it out. And like the crazy part is that most things that are required to run a company, you can Google, which most people, they're like, how do I do this? How do I do I'm like, I literally Googled all of that. I was like, how do I pay state taxes? How do I prevent customer churn? How do I, like, there's a million things you can find on Google if you're resourceful enough. But I think that most people aren't desperate enough that they would actually take the advice they find on Google and said they like have to pay money and invest and do all that stuff. And so it was literally just, I talked about the slide, it was just going in the trenches. It was not being afraid to put myself in a situation where I could look like I sucked. Oh my God, I love this answer. It's so amazing. This is what I tell my students all the time. I'm like, I don't know how you do that, but here's what I do know. You do something and if it works, you keep doing it. And if it doesn't, stop doing it. That is exactly it. Because we all want to know, like, how do we do something? But there was someone that did it for the first time that didn't know how to do it and, like, figured it out. 100%. Right? And so it's like, we are like, well, I've never managed someone before. I can't manage this company. Or I've never managed something before. I'm going to learn how to manage. And it's amazing. Not only did you learn how to manage to get by, you built a company that you were able to sell for millions of dollars that... I think you had said the people that bought it were just like, oh my gosh, this company is so well run. Yeah, that was actually probably like the coolest thing for me to see because you always think like, well, I don't want to like, I'm like, I know I think it's well run, but like, you know, private equity is coming in. Like we've seen so many companies and they they were like, this is like the best leadership team that we've seen. And like your successors are like amazing. Like they're the best people that we work with. And I was like, holy crap. Like, Yeah, that's amazing. Because typically when somebody comes in to buy a company, they want to buy the people running it, right? They want to buy you, the founder, because you're the one that's like running everything, but you set it up in a way that it could be independent of you, which is extraordinary. So I think that, and now you're taking that skill set. And just so everyone understands like what they're doing right now is basically taking companies and helping them go to the next level, helping them scale and help you're helping them do that by going in, looking at their teams, hiring the right people, making sure that it's run well, And also then, you know, with your partner, your husband coming in and doing a lot of the marketing to take them all to the next level. And you guys just started this business and it's already doing so well. Yeah. We started it the day after we sold (laughs) the other ones because we were so excited. And it's awesome. I mean, it's like super rewarding. All of our companies are over projection for, because we basically say like, if we take on a company, we're like our, our geared to your goal is like, we triple you in five, in three years. And they're all over target right now, which is super cool. So that's amazing. So a company will come in, they're already doing three million and you'll triple them yep. within three years. Or ten million. Or are they coming in? They're over yeah. three million. Okay. Over three Got million. It. Yeah, Got yeah, yeah. That's so if we were to take on a company that was doing twenty million, then we would be like it would we would have to make sure that we could say we could triple that in three years. Wow. And the thing is that you can, it's just you're pulling different levers. Mm. What do you mean by that? Like a company that's three to ten, it's often that there's things that don't exist yet. Like there's no sales manager. There's no processes mm. in there. There's no this. There's no, they don't know who their avatar is. They're still selling to like three people the same product. There's a lot of stuff that's not differentiated and it's not like, it just doesn't exist. Whereas when a company's at 20 million, most of those things exist, but they're not optimized. And oftentimes uh. what people do is 
build, then you optimize, then you scale. And a lot of people just go build, scale, which mm. is like you build it. And then you're like, now let's put gas behind it. But it's like, if you don't optimize it, then there's all these things that break. And so yeah. usually we come in, we have to unbreak those things. And then when you say we can scale, when you have, you know, a company is already doing 20 million to get it to 60 million, you know, there's, you can just open up different acquisition channels. You can teach a sales strategy. You could add on a new product and that can overnight because you already have the infrastructure built go so much higher. Got it. I love that. So I think this is an important thing for any of you who are running businesses to understand. And I'm always telling people, especially new business owners, I'm like, whatever you grow is going to grow. So look at your current business right now. What's working? What isn't? As you grow it, what isn't working will grow too. It will become a bigger problem. So that optimized piece is so important. And I talk to Layla about my business a lot too. And she always is like reminding me about that piece. Like you don't want to keep growing. You don't want to keep adding channels or adding products or adding new, you know, sources of revenue if you aren't optimized to be able to handle that. And you have to be optimized ahead of time, right? You have to be ready for the next version of yourself, of your company before you get there. You would, I would like to. I think a lot of people, like, it, it's honestly different. Some people are like, no, I'll figure it out once it happens. And I think mm. I was more like that in the beginning. Mm. And then when I realized you risk your reputation. Because uh, if you, interesting. I mean, if you don't optimize before you scale, a lot of times like things slip through the cracks. Customers don't necessarily get the best quality service, et cetera. And depending on what kind of brand you have, that can just completely taint it. And, you know, those things, a customer who has a bad experience tells an average of eight people. A customer who has a good experience tells two people. Wow. So it's like, which one's going to spread faster? Obviously, the one who has, you know, bad experience. Yeah. So even if you have more customers and more money coming in, if you're not serving them properly, that is not a scalable business. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're scaling bad word of mouth. Bad word of mouth. And probably the internal functioning, it will be very stressful for all the people working there. Getting yeah. all that negative feedback. I don't, I don't think like, you're gonna, are you going to get top? Like if you see those businesses that people look them up and there's negative reasons, we're like top talent isn't going to go there. Right. Exactly. So you actually can't scale your business because you can't even get the talent in to scale it to the next level because they look at it yes. and they're like, that's a scam. I don't want to work there. This doesn't even seem like they're trying to make the world better. So good. You're so smart. I love it. Okay. So let me just tell you, you have to listen to Layla on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. And eventually she's pretty soon is doing a podcast called We Don't Know Yet. Bill. Do we know yet? <laughs> I think it's Wait, but debating, she's been debating the name of it. We're going to call it Build, which is such an amazing name for her podcast because she builds companies, but she also helps, I think, people build themselves too. So make sure you check her out. Tell them how to get there. I know we're right in the middle. literally just Layla Hormozy. So every channel, L-E-I-L-A, Hormozy. At Layla Hormozy on every channel. H-O-R-M-O-Z-I. Yeah. Because seriously, like when you start listening to her, she's so smart. We start listen, listening to all of her ideas and concepts. Even if you're not at 3 million yet, even if you're not, you don't have that big of a business yet, you will have all the concepts in your head and all the ideas. And she talks about other things too. She talks about oh, yeah. personal stuff too. And I think I make a good, good amount of content for businesses that aren't even started yet or below a million. Okay. So I good. try to do that. Perfect. Okay. I am going to now go to the questions that we got, I thought up some questions that I get a lot about being a woman who has a lot of wealth. And I thought it would be a great podcast for us to do together because I think we're dealing with some of the same things, but maybe we have different impressions on it. So we haven't answered these questions yet with each other. So we're just going to do it live here in front of you. What is it like to earn so much money? Normal. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? It feels like this. It feels like it is normal. Oh my gosh, say more about that. Because it's not normal at all. Yeah. It's like we're like top 0.00001% of women. I think what people don't realize, and like I've thought about this a lot, is that like when you're a teenager, you're making $15 an hour. You're making $15 an hour. And then 
you know, you go into college, you get a job, you go out and you make 80 grand a year and then you make a hundred grand a year. And then you, but each time you get to the next level, like it's cool for a moment, but then you like get used to it really quickly. Yeah. I feel like it's just been that. Honestly. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, I think now what, I think what's not normal is feeling isolated mm. mostly. Like I think the downside of having more money as a woman is feeling like you are not like most other women. Yes. Because a lot of other women, they have other priorities or other things that they're doing, which is like great and like awesome. But then I feel like it's almost like you walk into a friend group like that and people kind of look at you different. Yes. Even though you're like, I feel no different, but there is a difference. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. And I think that for me, like I love making a lot of money. I think it's awesome, but I totally agree that it's isolating and it's not because other people don't want to be around me. It's not because I feel like they are isolating me. It's just the conversations that people are having, the things people are struggling with, the ideas people have, I just don't have anymore. Yeah. Like money yeah. changes the conversation that you're having in your own mind. Like that's why it's normal. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't have any of that, like the baggage that a lot yes. of people have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, like, so then when you're in a con, it's kind of like if I remember, this is so interesting. I remember when I was, younger and I was obsessed with my weight and I would like sit in a group of people and there'd be like this one thin woman that just never struggled with her weight and she couldn't relate to us at all and I was like what is that like yeah and yeah, that's it and that's what she'd say it's like so isolated because I don't know what you all are even talking about because I don't think about my body like that I don't obsess about it. I'm just thin and I eat what I want and that's a little bit what it feels like for yeah, me yeah you just don't think about money either. yeah it's just not the it's top not of my mind I think a lot about businesses and growing businesses and all of that but I just don't think a lot about money so that's interesting. And what is it like to be able to pretty much buy anything you want? I think now versus when it first happened, it's different. Like I think in the beginning, it's almost overwhelming because you have all these thoughts that like replay in your mind mm -hmm. that I think have been put there when you were young. Like, well, now that you have this money, you should buy a house and you should have this nice car. And this is what rich people do. Yes. And I think then what you have to think is like, what am I authentic? What do I authentically want for myself? Yes. What do I actually desire? Versus what do I desire because I think I should have it to impress other people mm -hmm. and to look rich. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I think that's taken me time because I think I went first. I was like, oh, I don't want to have anything because I don't want to look rich at all. I don't want anyone to know. And then mm. I was like, oh, I'm going to try getting everything. And like, But then I had things I didn't like and I didn't want and they weren't authentic to me. And now I've come to this like nice spot where I'm like, if I like something, I'm going to get it for myself because I like it and it's something I want. But I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And I'm mm -hmm. also not going to get something just because somebody else says I should. Or somebody else thinks it would be cool or to like impress someone. I think yeah. that's, we, we both agree on that. I had this point where like I started earning so much money and then I realized that I liked money better than stuff. It was like this huge feeling. moment instead of like when I had the money, I'm like, would I rather have the money or would I rather have the thing? Her. And it was the money. Like I'd rather, I, I started getting used to having money. I think we're socialized to believe that money equals stuff. And then as yeah. soon as we get it, we should buy stuff. And now I'm much more interested in having money and having a high net worth than I am in buying a bunch of stuff to impress other people. I'm definitely mm. not into that at all. Yeah, no. It's yeah. really interesting. I do like having a lot of money. Yeah. But everyone's like, hey, you need to go invest it. And I'm like, I don't care. Well, one of the things that we talk about a lot is how much other people who have less money than us tell us what to do with our money. It's the most fascinating thing. It's like, oh, well, you know that you should, you know that the rules are yeah. that this is what you should do with your money. And it's so funny because we built our wealth not following any of the rules. No rules at all. Right? Like kind of going outside of that. And so there's a lot of things that I do and I know that Layla does that aren't conventional, that aren't what a lot of other people do. And 
I think that's what makes it so amazing and so fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, what you don't realize is at some point people like do all these things with your money, but those things require effort, attention, time, management. And I think that a lot of people have this false because they haven't had that much money yet. Yeah. They have this false idea that, oh, if you do all these things and invest here and buy these things, like it creates a really simple life, but it doesn't. I've, I've done all those things and right. it's not nearly as simple as people like to say it is. And it doesn't require, it does require attention. Yes. Yes. I had this experience. I think I was telling you guys about it. It's like I went and saw this attorney who was going to help me save on taxes. And he had this like huge whiteboard where he showed like all the, I call it shenanigans, all the shenanigans, legal shenanigans, but all the legal shenanigans that you can do to save on taxes. And like at the end of it, like I'm like, I kind of just want to pay the taxes. And I know that like, it's so crazy. I know that people are like, no, that's ridiculous. It's so much money. But it's like, when you are at a certain level, it's just like, you get to choose where you want to spend your time, your effort, your energy. And you know, working on stuff like that and creating all these complicated things, like to so, me is not important enough to save as much money as I could save on taxes. I will do some of the things that are simple and make the most sense, but you know, there are some things I'm just not going to do. And I, yes, that means I will pay more taxes and I'm totally fine with that. A hundred percent. I yeah. think it's also one of those where people are like, well, what if you lose? That means you could, you might lose $5 million that you yeah. could have saved. Yeah. And I'm like another five that would be sitting there in the bank account doing nothing. Right. I'm like, well, I was going to do nothing with it anyway. So like, I'm now I'm going to do nothing that is active and involves me, but yeah. like, gives me the illusion of security. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and I know people are going to listen to this and freak out and be like, well, you know, you're just not doing it the smart way. But I feel like I've been at this for a while now and I feel smart. I feel very smart and I have a lot of money and I feel like it's very secure. And that's the freedom that we have is to make whatever choices we want with the money that we have. And so that is one of the things I love about having my own money. And I think that the other thing I was thinking about, I was walking today thinking about doing this podcast and I was thinking about wealthy women. And I do think there's a difference between having earned the money and having gotten it. Yeah, gotten it, having yeah. inherited or having it be like family money or something like that. I've had mm -hmm. both. I've had family money in the beginning that I ended up losing. And then I had money that I earned. And I will tell you that having... I'll be curious what you think about this. Yeah. Having earned this money makes me feel so abundant because I feel like even if I make a mistake or do the taxes wrong or they take the money or something happens, I earned it with this brain and yeah. I can earn it again. Yeah. I think it's about being the kind of person that can create that kind of wealth for yourself. Yes. Not about having the wealth. Like yes. people think, oh, you're, oh, it's funny so much. So people always say like, I think about this a lot. They're like, money changes people. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, the ability to make money changes people. Oh, that's good. Say yeah, more I about, about that. that a lot. Well, I think it's like when you have that ability to deliver value to an extent where you can literally deliver so much disproportionate value to a sector of people that then you can take that much money from a business or whatever it is that yeah. you're doing that you can take it back. It creates a self sense of confidence because a lot of people can't do that. Yes. It's, it requires a lot of different skill sets. It requires skill stacking of all sorts of different things. And then when you get to that point, it's a sense of security because you don't worry about losing it because you know you can create more of it. Yes. Oh, and my God. That is skill stacking. That is so interesting. I, I talk a lot about how I became a life coach and I love life coaching and I practiced it so much and I studied it so much that I feel like my skill is so high there. But I think if I had just done that, like I'd probably be making a 
couple hundred thousand dollars a year. But stacking that with my marketing and business savvy, which by the way, the marketing, I loved learning the stuff you do, like all of the like infrastructure in the business and setting up processes and managing people. I hated doing, but because I have those three things, like you said, stacked on them, most people aren't willing to do that. No, they're not. And so having that is, is so powerful and the ability to create enough value that you can make that much money is something I've thought about a lot because I've made money literally helping people change their lives. That is like the coolest thing I can even imagine. And you're doing that too. Like you're helping other businesses triple in size. That's like such an honor to be able to do that. That's such a thrill. And then you will get paid for that as well, right? So it's like being able to provide a service that helps the world and changes me as a person. Like what you were saying, like becoming a wealthy person, the money doesn't make you that. It's what you did to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. This question is, do you ever feel isolated as a woman leader? We already kind of answered that. Yeah. I think okay. You're responsible for the daily working lives of so many people. What does that responsibility mean to you and how do you handle it? I think that I don't think about that often mm. because of a few things. In the beginning, I thought about it all the time. I was like, all these people lying on me. Like, I have to do all these things. I don't do these things. Like, their lives are screwed, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, like, what a sense of, like, over-self-importance I was placing on myself oh, to think that if they lost this job, they couldn't get another, mm. right? Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, doing them such a disservice to think or say that about them. Or that, like, if my business didn't exist, clients would not be able to actually do this their own on their with their business. Mm. And so for me, actually, like, thinking that way and thinking, like, oh, I have all this responsibility on me, like, that actually creates a ton of pressure. And so I think about the opposite way, which I'm like, they don't need me. They would figure it out on their own either way. People are resilient. They're resourceful. They would find somebody else. They would find another job. They're a great person. I hired them. Somebody else would hire them. Mm, that's so, so good. I love that. So that helps take the responsibility off of you. Yeah, and it's not it's not because I want to feel like I have less responsibility. It's because I want to be able to make decisions with sound mind. And I think that if we're in like anxiety, panic, like worrying mode, I don't think I can do that for my people. And so mm-hmm. I know that if I tell myself those things, then I will actually make better decisions for them. And I'm more likely to achieve the outcome I want. And so I've just like learned to train myself that over time because in the beginning it was, it was like, you have all these people, they're all relying on you. It's all the games on the line. And like, I would show up to meetings like so nervous because uh, right. because I felt that. And then when I start telling myself the other way, which I do believe is true, it helped so much. And I feel like I'm a way better leader and a boss. And I show up so much better for my people because I'm not thinking about, you know, how all this stuff relies on me. And if anything, I think that's a little bit of selfish thinking. Yeah, that is a really good point. So how do you balance? This is something I'm challenged with. And I know many of my colleagues are. How do you balance the needs of the business with like the needs of the people in the business? I mean, I'm of the mind that the people build business. Okay. Right. Myself included. Yeah. And so when I'm going out to build a business, I think what values would create the business that we want? And then I find people who have those values Mm. because the goal is that, you know, uh, Don Mackey talks about this. He's the founder of Whole Foods. He talks about like you, it's not that it's not either or, or like, how do you do both? It's, it always has to be a win, win, win. Mm-hmm. It has to be a win for the business, a win for the customer and a win for the employees. Got it. And so I don't actually, I don't make decisions that I feel like would be a lose for anybody. I, sh- I think that that's not thinking creatively. enough. Mm-hmm. I think that often it's defaulting to like standard practice or what you see someone else doing or, or whatever. But I think that if you can really sit down and think like, if you just ask yourself, literally, if you ask yourself the question, how do I make this a win, win, win? I think you can always figure out an answer. I don't think I've ever had a time where I haven't. That is so cool. 
I love that idea that it has to be a win for everyone. So there are times, and this is what I've noticed in my own company, where my business is growing and the people that have helped me get to a million, they don't have the skill set or the experience to help me get it to five million. Yeah. So I think when you're in that situation, you love these people and they've helped you build it to a million. Yeah. You're like, they've been on this ride and now I need more help or different kind of help. I find that super challenging. Do you have yep. a recommendation for CEOs like us that are in that situation? Yeah, and I've had to do this many times. And at first my thought was like, I suck. I haven't trained them well enough. I didn't give them enough support or training. And that is true in some cases. But I think a lot of times what I realized, I'm like, I'm doing them a disservice if I keep them in this role because I'm, I'm delaying them from finding that future job, that mm. future career where they actually have a future versus yeah. I'm just trying to like put them in, a, I call it a junk drawer, right? You're like shoving them in a corner saying, do these few things, like we'll keep you here, but like they have no future. And so you delay them from finding that, that career that has that future trajectory mm. for them if you don't let them. And I feel that a lot of the times if you approach people with that manner, then you can actually have a really good exit. And a lot of things, uh, what I like to do is I like to say, okay, if I really like someone, but they're just not a fit for my business anymore, I have a huge network. I can go find three to five other businesses that they are a fit for. Yes. And then I can say, hey, if I can have the conversation, I can say, like, I want to make this as smooth and as good for you as possible. I found these three to five other businesses that I think actually would be better for you than here. Yes. Would you be open to interviews? Love that. And that's that's what I do. so good. Because I found that that's true the other way, too. Like, I have had people that have done so well in my company and learned so much and learned so fast that they want to go on and start their own business. Totally. And leave me, right? And so sometimes I'm leaving them, sometimes I'm leaving me. And that I always want to support them. And yes, of course, I want you to be an entrepreneur and I want you to make your own money. But it's sad, too, right? Yeah. So, but it's part of the cycle of being in business. And I think, I think for me, I had, like, this idea that we should all be in it as a family from the beginning to the end. And I had to unlearn that really quickly. So I don't yeah. think about my team as a family anymore. I think no. I think about them as a team. It's not like Johnny doesn't make his bed. You fire him and kick him out the house. Right. You know? <laughs> I'm like, we don't, this is what I say to my team. I'm like, we have no one sleeping in the basement not paying rent. That's not <laughs> happening. That's not happening. Yeah. And if you're not throwing touchdowns, you're not, you know, you're only throwing interceptions, like you're not gonna be able to stay. No. Like that's it. And so I think that's part of our culture at the Life Coach School. I have to tell people that that's kind of the environment that they're getting involved in. And it's not for everyone because we're working. And I know when your companies too, it's like everyone's working really hard, big goals, growing. Not all companies are growing and focused yeah. on the kind of growth that we are, right? Yeah. A lot of companies are just growing a certain percentage. Everyone gets a certain raise. Like, Yeah. Well, if you look at it, there's like a really cool graph that has basically the rate of technology growth, the rate of business growth and the rate of people growth. Mm. And so you think about it and you're like, and then they show like correlations with different companies and like the fastest growing companies have people who are willing to change the fastest. What? That is so interesting. Yeah, I always show that graph. I've so so hiring people that like change are interested totally. in growth, that are interested in change. Yeah, that's going to be. So I think for me, like sometimes I hire people and I'm like, I just need someone that can like settle in and like do the job, but they can't ever, they won't survive in our company because yeah. that job, Probably won't be there in three months. Yeah. Like it'll probably be a whole new thing. So that's actually really interesting to think about is hiring people that know they are going to have to grow. Right. And setting, I, I even say like set the expectation when I, when we were growing gym and it was growing super fast. Yeah. It was similar to that and that their roles changed so much. And I would say like, hey, I just want to let you know, this is your role right now. This is all subject to change. Could change like 50% in three months. And yeah. I just need to be okay with that because this is like a fast growing, fast moving company. We're doing a lot of things and moving really quick. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, oh, no, gosh, 
I do not want them at all. Right, right. I'm scared. Yeah, that freaks me out. Yeah, I'm here. That's good.